Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. The sermon was preached on July 31st, 2022 for the next installation of our Lord's Prayer series, this one looking at the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Will Be Done. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, can you fill in this blank? A picture is worth a thousand words, right? So if I were to show you a picture of a smiling woman or a crying baby, how many words could you come up with to describe what you see? Happy, sad, content, distraught, and 996 others, right? Some things are pretty easy to pick out in those photos, pretty obvious. There are certain things that don't take a great detective to figure out. But would you be able to tell me why the baby is sad? Or how happy this woman is about, is? How happy this woman is on the scale of one to 10? That's a little more difficult, isn't it? There's some things we can take at face value. Other things require explanation and ideally from the source. The parents of this baby might have a good idea why he's sad, but this woman is the only one who can tell us how happy she is. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but even those thousand words aren't enough to tell the whole story. There's only one way to know what's going on in someone's mind, and that is to ask them. And that's what makes today's topic so challenging. In the third petition, we pray to our Father in heaven, thy will be done. Now, we don't often talk about someone's will unless we're referring to that legal document that determines what happens to a person's stuff after they die. That's not what we're talking about here. God's will is whatever he wants in his infinite wisdom to do. God's will is his desire. But how can we possibly know what God wants? We can't look at his facial expressions. Even if we could, we couldn't read his mind. As great as prayer is, and that's our entire focus this summer, prayer is just a one-way street. We can speak to God. We are invited to pour out our hearts to him, but he doesn't respond in the same way. Prayer is not like a conversation we have with a friend over a cup of coffee. Prayer is a one-way street from us to God. And yet, God nevertheless does reveal his will to us. He even speaks to us in ways that we can hear with our own two ears. He speaks to us in his word. And there he reveals his will. There he tells us what he wants. I want to share just two of the explicit examples we read in the Bible of what God wants. This one from 1 Timothy. God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pretty straightforward, right? God wants sinners to be saved. What else does God want? This one from 1 Thessalonians. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. 
Again, pretty straightforward. God wants you to be sanctified, which simply means that he wants you to live a good and godly life. Now, these two passages are not a complete, comprehensive list of all the things that God wants. But they are a representative sample. Of all the things God wants, there are two that he wants more than anything else, and they both start with the letter S. Salvation and sanctification. Generally speaking, that's what God wants. He wants you to be saved, and he wants you to live like you're saved. That's what God's will is. How does God's will get done? That's what we pray for in the third petition. Thy will be done. I want to share three examples with you this morning of three different men in the Bible, all of whose names start with the letter J, and who all tell us something about how God's will gets done. I'll tell you about them one word at a time. You chime in when you think you know who it is. Here is your first J name. Nineveh. Storm. Whale. It's Jonah. Jonah had a problem with the will of God. Unlike the way God deals with us, God spoke directly with Jonah and told him exactly what his will was for Jonah's life. God wanted Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to warn the people there of the coming judgment for their sin with the hope that they would repent and be saved. After all, that's one of the things we know God wants, salvation. But Jonah didn't want what God wanted. The Ninevites were Jonah's political enemies. They were threatening to attack the Jewish people. Jonah didn't want to warn them about God's anger. Jonah wanted God to be mad at them so that they would ultimately be destroyed and the Jews would ultimately be delivered. So Jonah ran away. He chartered the first boat headed the opposite direction. Tarshish was as far away from Nineveh in the known world as Jonah could have possibly gone. Jonah defied God's will. And yet, for those of you who know this story, by the end, Jonah still did God's will. Do you remember how God got Jonah from a boat headed east to Nineveh headed in the west? He sent a great storm and had Jonah get cast into the sea to be swallowed by a great fish, to be swum back to the shores of Israel and vomited on dry land with the strict command of God, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This time Jonah obeyed and did God's will. What do we learn about God's will from Jonah? God's will is done whether we want to do it or not. The only difference is what our attitude toward God's will is. I think we can all be like Jonah from time to time. Jonah didn't want what God wanted. Jonah resisted the will of God. We do the same thing. Can you think of some examples? Could be as simple as daring to ask God, why? I don't want to go too deeply into specific examples today, but there's a danger to asking God that question, why? Sometimes we're truly nothing more than curious. I, w I wonder why God made the platypus. 
Most of the time, though, I think that the question why comes from a place of pride, more like, what were you thinking, God? How could you let this happen? Really, in the back of our minds, what we're thinking is, I had a better plan, God. Why couldn't you just do what I wanted? And it doesn't really matter what the circumstance is. It could be a death or a tragedy or a loss or a pain. There are times when, like Jonah, we don't want what God wants. We are constantly faced with the temptation to think like Jonah did that my will, what I want, is better than God's will, what he wants. And in the case of the Ninevites, even though they would eventually conquer Jonah's hometown, that was still God's will. And in the process, even though many would die, many more, even more than that died, would go to heaven. That was God's will. Who was Jonah to deny that? Sometimes in sin, we dare to ask God why. Sometimes in sin, we dare to ask ourselves, why not? Why, why shouldn't I be happy? Why shouldn't I enjoy the things that God forbids? The substances, the secrets, the shameful things I do when no one's watching, the thing that no one else knows about. Why not? But that's the sin of Jonah all over again. Thinking that what I want is better than what God wants. I don't care about what God wants, I only care about what I want. Or if it's a little less callous than that, I, I don't know what God wants. I do know what I want, so I'm not going to try to bother, I'm not going to bother trying to learn what God wants. I'm just going to make sure my will gets done. Now Jonah teaches us two things about God's will. One is that God's will always gets done whether we want to do it or not. And the other is that any opposition I raise to God's will is not only foolish, but sinful. Time for another J. Dreams. Coat. Egypt. Slave. This one is Joseph. Joseph didn't defy the clear will of God the way that Jonah did. With Joseph, it was more that the will of God was unclear and sometimes in question. Joseph was given a dream at a young age. His siblings and even his parents would bow down to him. His brothers thought he was gloating and they hated him for it. They thought about killing him, but elected for the less violent route by merely selling him into slavery. From there, he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Joseph had gone from being the favorite son of his father to a forgotten prisoner, moldering away in a dungeon somewhere far from home. Joseph must have been so confused. What about that dream God had given to him? Wasn't it God's will that Joseph rise to such a power that even his family would bow down to him? It didn't look like that was going to happen from where Joseph was sitting. But then God used a series of unlikely events to put Joseph into a position to help out the Pharaoh of Egypt. And in thankfulness, Pharaoh plucked Joseph out of prison and made him second in command over the greatest superpower of the day. God's will was clear. 
Joseph would rise to power, but the path from A to B wasn't exactly a straight line. So what can we learn about God's will this time from Joseph? God's will doesn't always match our expectation. Or to put it the way that Isaiah does, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm sure that given the choice, Joseph wouldn't have opted for slavery or prison. But God still used those truly challenging moments in Joseph's life to put him in a position to save thousands. As a second in command over all of Egypt, Joseph ensured that not only Egypt, but all of its neighbors would survive a seven-year famine. I'm sure it's not what Joseph had in mind, or how he thought he'd get from A to B. But it was God's will, and God's will gets done. And finally, our last J. I'm, I'm willing to bet that I don't even have to say a single word for you to guess who this J is. It's Jesus. Just like with Joseph, God's will in Jesus' life was often paradoxical and unexpected. The Son of God from all eternity was born of a woman in antiquity. The almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent God was at the mercy of earthly rulers during his life. The sinless Son of God was convicted of crimes he did not commit and sentenced to die a criminal's death. The eternal, immortal, ever-living God was killed on a cross to give you eternal, unending life in his name. Now, those things don't make a whole lot of sense to us. You hear statements like that and you ask the questions, how is, are those things even possible? Why would God even do that? The snarky answer is because he wanted to, because that was his will. The better answer is because he loves you. And because you know the two areas of God's will that are crystal clear in Scripture, salvation and sanctification. God wants you to be saved. That's why he sent his sinless son to die on a cross for you, for your salvation. Unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't begrudge his mission. He willingly and wholeheartedly accepted the will of his Father, and he humbled himself. Not only by becoming a man and giving up his, his full use of his power and authority, living as the poor son of a carpenter and later as a vagabond preacher, he humbled himself by being obedient to his Father, even to the point of death on a cross, even when he would have loved for there to be a different way to save you. This is one of the most amazing stories in the entire Bible. On the night before Jesus died, literally minutes before he was arrested by the Jews, Jesus prayed this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In those last moments before his death, Jesus prayed for there to be another way to save humanity. He didn't look forward to what was about to happen to him at the hands of the Jews, the beatings, the mockery, the death. And so he asked his Father in heaven for a different option. Can you imagine? Jesus, 
asking for a different way to save us. But how did Jesus end his prayer? Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was willing to accept his Father's will, even when it wasn't his own, even when it would mean great pain and ultimately an excruciating death. Because at the end of the day, even if Jesus didn't know anything else about his Father's will, which he did, he knew the same two things that you and I do. God desires our salvation and sanctification. And Jesus did too. Jesus was willing to give up his will out of love for you. Jesus was willing to be condemned so that you could be forgiven. Jesus was willing to die so that you could live. There could be no better comfort than Jesus when we're confronted with our own Jonah-like opposition to God's will, even for our rejection of and rebellion against God's will in our lives, we have forgiveness in Jesus, who perfectly submitted his will to his fathers. There could be no better comfort than Jesus. There could be no better example than Jesus. When we pray to our Father in heaven, especially about his will being done, how can we be like Jesus? We can be humble like him. Submit our will to his. Trust that even when we can't see how God could get us from A to B, his will will always be done, one way or another. It may not take the path we think it might or should. It may not be what we wanted. But if it's God's will, it's always best. If it's God's will, it will never jeopardize our salvation or compromise our sanctification. God wants you to know that you are saved. That's why he sent and sacrificed his son. That was his will. Now he wants you to live like you're saved. So pray like Jesus. Thy will be done. Amen.